The following program contains views, ideas, and opinions that have been produced by the host DJ and their guests, and are not reflective of the views of WRFL or its underwriters. For questions, comments, or concerns, please email programming at wrfl.fm. Who listens to the radio anymore? We do. WRFL Lexington. Hello, I'm Noel Oldham, and you're listening to Campus Voices on WRFL Lexington. Over the past six weeks, protests in response to the killing of George Floyd have reinvigorated the Black Lives Matter movement. But how long can people protest for social justice before they start experiencing burnout and fatigue? According to an article by Paul Gorski, activist burnout is when the stressors associated with activism begin to negatively impact a person's mental and physical well-being. This week on Campus Voices, we have activists Olivia Antigua, a student activist and intern for the governor. Thank you, Olivia, for joining us today. Great to be here. So, Olivia, how long have you been protesting for the Black Lives Matter movement? Well, um, being a woman of color, I'm Black and uh, Dominican. I feel like my entire life has been um, fighting for racial justice um, and equality, but I've always been a fan of the Black Lives Matter movement. I've always been in support of it since it started, I think, um, with the Ferguson riots, but um, the past couple of weeks, of course, with everyone paying more attention, I've been trying to get my voice out there and promote a lot of um, racial justice uh, writings and things like that. And what shape has your activism taken? Um, I'm definitely more of a person who is trying to speak up and speak out and elevate other voices instead of necessarily being on the front lines at all times. Um, more so now than before because of COVID, of course. So I'm really trying to get out readings to people, talking to people, and getting them to understand what's going on so that they can use their voices. Um, I think having those difficult conversations is a great first starting place to get people interested and accepting of the activism that's going around. And so does that activism give you any sense of burnout at all? Oh, absolutely. Um, because I consider myself a black woman, I consider myself a woman of color, um, exposing some of the traumas, learning about things that I didn't know before can really cause burnout. It makes me want to turn off my phone. It makes me just kind of want to crawl in bed. Um, at one point, my parents were telling me, you have to turn off the news. It is driving you insane. And of course, I wanted to see what was going on to spread the word to do good, but it was harming me at the same time. So how do you find a balance between activism and also taking care of yourself? I try telling people that you're not able to take care of the world if you're not able to take care of yourself. Um, to kind of set limits for yourself. So if you're noticing that all you're doing is reading the news, scrolling on Twitter, Instagram, whatever, and it's affecting you, maybe put a limit on yourself. I'm only going to be on there for a couple of hours a day. Or find a positive outlet to channel some of that energy to. Um, I'm a big fan of working out. All of my friends know I love stress baking. I learned how to make a new recipe last week just so that I can have some kind of outlet some time away so it's not too consuming, but so I can continue doing good work. Something we've seen lately is that many institutions and businesses have released public statements about the Black Lives Matter movement. What do these public statements from businesses and institutions mean to you? It's a starting place, um, but 
words don't mean anything, actions mean more. So if these businesses actually commit to better hiring practices, to openly talking about what they do in their company to change, um, move the needle forward when it comes to racial justice, that means more to me than just a blanket statement saying Black Lives Matter. Because if you say that one day, um, and then you turn around and you fire someone from wearing a more natural hairstyle, that really shows me that you don't believe that Black Lives truly matter. So as a Black activist, when you are involved with these predominantly white institutions like the University of Kentucky, do you feel that you face more resistance uh, in your activism? It kind of depends on what space that I'm traveling in. Uh, one thing that's been both a positive and a barrier in my life is that I have predominantly traveled in predominantly white circles, um, grew up in suburban areas. So I'm very much used to hearing the same excuses. Uh, I know what they're saying, like, oh, I'm afraid to speak out or, oh, I can't do X, Y, and Z. So I know how to handle those conversations better. But at the same time, it's very draining to do all the time. Um, and I feel like for me, I have to justify myself being a woman of color in predominantly white spaces. But then I also would have to justify myself to some of my peers who are also activists who don't travel those safe, same spaces because you're really walking a fine line of trying to get people to learn, um, but not shaming them, if that makes sense. So do you feel like your, your peers who are also activists, do you feel like they understand your point of view? Most of them do, yes. Um, I feel like true activists like listen and understand that movements are very diverse. Uh, multiple people come with different perspectives to try to move things forward. Um, I think you run into some problems with angry people online when they're so angry, they want the world to change, but they don't know how. And they kind of point fingers at different directions instead of coming together and working with people who agree with them and want to do the same good, just in a different way. Yeah, I think a lot of current activism is taking place online, but Cambridge Online Dictionary defines slacktivism as an activity that uses the internet to support political or social causes in a way that doesn't need much effort. So some examples of this could include uh, signing or creating online petitions, but something that I think of recently that we've seen is the posting of black squares on social media. Yeah. Uh, in a 2014 HuffPost article, slacktivism was dubbed the downfall of millennials. Have you seen recent examples of slacktivism in the recent movement? Oh, absolutely. It's way easier just to post a black screen um, and not have difficult conversations with your family members that might say something racist or your friends or your coworkers. Um, if you're just doing, signing a petition and saying, okay, that's it, I'm done with racial justice, you're only at the starting place. You have to do readings, you have to have uncomfortable conversations, you have to commit to do more. While signing a petition or posting a black square is a good start, again, your actions matter more. We need you to do more for the world to change. So how do you think people can go beyond slacktivism and, and advocate for that real change? Advocating for that real change comes in various different fronts. So people who are on the front lines protesting, people who are calling their local representatives um, up to their federal representatives, that's also important. Voting, registering people to vote, that's important. Um, also just doing readings on racial justice, being 
aggressively anti-racist is important. You can come at it at very different angles. So if you're someone who's passionate about education, you can read about anti-racism and education. Um, if you're very passionate about feminism, you can talk and do readings on how feminism often um, did not include women of color. You can find your passions um, and channel that into anti-racist readings to kind of broaden and start there and keep growing after. That's just some of many different ways to do it. A recent discussion that has hit social media is whether or not white people get to experience ally or activist burnout or fatigue. In a now deleted tweet, TV writer and author Dana Schwartz said, hey fellow white folks, if you're starting to feel burned out, today is a great day for us to set recurring donations. This started the conversation and prompted a number of responses, including one from comedian Jabuki Young-White, who replied with a tweet about white people learning and doing the bare minimum that has caused them exhaustion and given them a need for self-care. Crystal Ewan wrote for Greatest.com that allyship fatigue is used to describe the feeling of being overwhelmed and exhausted of the emotions that come with doing the work of being an ally. It describes wanting to move away from feelings of guilt, sadness, or tiredness by removing oneself from the work that makes allyship. Ewan writes, the existence of this word is an excuse to justify non-participation. Ewan compared ally fatigue to quarantine fatigue, people relaxing how much they follow health measures because they're tired of them, even though we're still in a pandemic. Uh, Olivia, how have allies contributed to the recent Black Lives Matter movement? Well, it kind of depends on are they participating in slacktivism or are they actually doing the real work? Um, it might be kind of an unpopular opinion. I think that allies can experience burnout, but I think we need to question what is the root of that burnout. Our society kind of expects that after a certain age, you stop learning um, and we shame people from wanting to learn. So example not related to Black Lives Matter at all is what if a 50-year-old woman wants to learn how to roller skate? Someone might shame her, why didn't you learn that when you were younger? There, there's no need for shame in these things. And I understand that guilt happens, but if your burnout is coming from a place of, I'm afraid of getting things wrong, we should be learning our entire lives to be better people. If that's the root of your burnout, you need to reevaluate. Maybe you need to step away from social media, keep doing the readings, keep doing the other work that I said before. But if it's coming from a place of, I feel like I'm experiencing trauma, it might trigger something in your own life. Okay, step back, reflect, set your limits and barriers, then get back to work. We need you on our side in order for the world to get better. Like I've said over and over, we need allies just as much as we need the activists who are on the front lines. What do you think is the importance of having allies involved in the movement? Without allies, you can't move the needle. You need more people to have a majority of people to get things to change. That's how our democracy works. So before, um, I guess, this recent outbreak, before the pandemic, before Black Lives Matter really took off, a majority of people in this country did not support the movement. And so we were having difficulties getting legislation passed, getting body cameras instituted, um, all these things that were seen as small victories or were making some progress, but not enough. And now you have people who are jumping almost to the other extreme end of like, let's talk about defending the police. Let's talk about um, getting increasing budgets for schools. That wasn't in the conversation until we had more people involved, until we had the majority of people. So allies are very important in getting change done, especially in our democracy. While the ongoing Black Lives Matter protests were sparked by the killing of George Floyd, it has brought attention to other issues affecting the Black community. Black women in particular face both racism and sexism. 
Olivia, how have you felt intersectionality affect you? Intersectionality is something that's very difficult um, to walk through. Like I said, I am a black woman. I also identify as a Latina. I code switch often because I've grown up in predominantly white spaces. It's whatever situation I'm in, I pull out different values, different ideas, different ways of speaking. That's very hard. But at the same time, I think it's a privilege for me because I can relate to more people um, and I can speak up for the people in, that are in some of my groups, some of my identities that might not have the same voice that I do, especially because I'm more light-skinned um, than some black women are. I have the appearance of a higher education. I talk relatively well, and so people are more receptive to me. So in terms of my intersectionality, all of my identities have given me privilege to speak up for more people. And so while sometimes that can be very mentally draining, I know it's kind of my job and responsibility to do so. Um, and I know for a lot of different women, a lot of different people in general who have different identities, it's something that they have to deal with as well. I think a big part of it is that, you know, black women are, you know, both fighting the fight, but also experiencing the actual oppression that, that, that they're fighting against at the same time. For example, Boyan Salo was a black 19-year-old in Florida who was an activist for Black Lives Matter, and she was sexually assaulted and murdered in June. Her murderer has been uh, charged and arrested uh, for her, her murder and kidnapping. But Olivia, as, as a young black woman and an activist, what impact does seeing a case like Toyin Salu have on your morale and, and motivation? It's definitely scary. Um, just being a woman in general, we're taught that we have to be more careful about the way we go about the world. I won't go running by myself. Um, my parents are always very hesitant about me staying by myself just in general. And situations like that, they, they make you frightened. But at the same time, I try to remind myself that that's just more of a reason to keep fighting and fighting harder. Um, it does that idea that I say doesn't always hold true. Like I said, I definitely experience that burnout. Sometimes I have to back away because it is a lot to process emotionally, but I try to keep fighting harder and yelling louder for people like that who are activists, who are women, who have to go through so much in the bodies that they were given. Brianna Taylor was a 26 year old black woman who was killed by officers of Louisville Metro police department in her Louisville apartment in March. Only one of the officers involved in her murder had faced consequences when he was recently fired from the department over three months after her death. Online supposed calls for justice for Breonna Taylor have turned into a sort of social media trend and memes. Olivia, what do you make of people making calls for justice for Breonna Taylor, but also turning it into a sort of trend or meme, tagging it as like a punchline almost? It doesn't sit right with me. I get that people are well-intentioned. They want attention to stay on the case. Um, but I do question someone's methods of going about it, about raising awareness for Breonna Taylor. Um, instead of making a meme, why aren't you emailing the attorney general who still hasn't finished his investigation into the cops? No charges can be made until that's done. Um, were you protesting? Were you signing petitions? Were you doing readings? Are you talking with your friends about Breonna Taylor's case? Like, it has to be more than just a meme. A meme and a trend is also a form of slacktivism. And it's just, it's not enough. And it's kind of using her name in vain.
Do you think that the memeing of Breonna Taylor and calling for justice for her, do you think that there's a reason it happened to Breonna Taylor and not to say George Floyd or, or other cases? I feel like with George Floyd and other cases where there was more footage, it was more immediate, it was all over our TVs basically as soon as it happened and there was justice a lot quicker. Um, people didn't jump to the memes because it's like all the evidence was right there presented to you because it's fallen under the radar because we don't have a lot of answers yet. People jump to jokes. People jump to things that are more societally acceptable to keep it on people's radars. Uh, and I think that's why that happened to Breonna Taylor. And I, I think it's a shame. So Olivia, what do you want our listeners to know about Black Lives Matter? Just to kind of, what, what would you want the message that you want to get out to be? Black Lives Matter, it's not a moment, it's a movement uh, for all of my Hamilton friends and fans out there. Uh, we're going to steal that quote from it. Keep doing the hard work. Take care of yourself. You can't take care of the world if you don't know um, how to take care of yourself. And Black Lives Matter is the fight for all people, no matter race, no matter gender, no matter sexuality. Black trans lives matter. Black women's lives matter, black men's lives matter, all of them matter. And we can't be in a place to say all lives matter until black lives matter, until other minorities' lives matter. So we gotta keep fighting. Olivia, thank you so much for, for joining us today. Olivia Antigua is an activist and intern for the governor. Uh, thank you to our writer for the week, Jalen Washington Mays. Join us next week on Campus Voices when we'll discuss keeping up with your physical health while social distancing. I'm Noel Oldham, and you're listening to WRFL.